coronavirus. How should we react? There's virtually no person on earth right now that has not heard the name coronavirus. Its official name is COVID, C-O-V-I-D-19, coronavirus disease, which was discovered or began in 2019 in a province in China. It's now spreading globally, impacting virtually every sector and industry, travel, economics, politics, education, our gathering, our trips, you name it. And psychologically impacting people, creating confusion, fear, even panic and hysteria. So while the global community does come together, looking for ways to contain this virus and ultimately eradicate it, and that's commendable, there's a sense of a lack of leadership. You don't hear anyone rising and standing up and saying, yes, this is now a challenge, but let us all join together in battling this challenge, and above all, not to succumb psychologically and emotionally to the fears that it's creating. We have to be prudent, and we have to be practical, and we cannot ignore it. We have to always err on the side of caution. But emotionally, we have to stand strong and feel confident that we can conquer this and only become stronger and grow from it. And that's what I want to address. I'm not speaking from the medical perspective, from the political perspective, the economic one, but rather from our personal perspective. How should we react? How should I react? How should you react? Due to the fact that technology spreads information very, very quickly, no pun intended, in a viral fashion. So on one hand, yes, it gives us news quickly and we can react quickly and get the best updated information immediately, but it also can create a certain mass hysteria because everything is being broadcast all the time and amplified and every outbreak, every case discovered becomes, oh, now there's 100 cases, 101 cases. So it's good to know that, but does every one of us have to keep every 24-7 be fed every bit of information? That, can, that overload, in general information overload, inundates us and can cause more problems, and especially when it's about bad news like that. So how do we respond? So let me tell you where I'm coming from. I'm an American. I was born in the United States of America, but I'm also a Jew. Which means that long before the United States became a country, being part of the Jewish people, we go back 3,800 years from Abraham. And we've gone through every challenge in life. From the worst, most recently the Holocaust. Before that, the pogroms. I should say the Soviet oppression of the Jewish people the former Soviet Union, before that pogroms, inquisitions, crusaders, through the Middle Ages, you name it. I'm not even mentioning the oppression under the Babylonians and under the Persians and under the Greeks and under the 
Ottomans and under and earlier under the Egyptians, the Assyrians. And here we are, a small little nation, fledgling nation of 0.1% of the population of the world. And we have endured and survived the greatest empires. The Egyptian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Syrian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, the Ottoman Empire, the Spanish Empire. We're here. And we're not just a relic in some museum. So everybody would want to know what is the formula for not just surviving all of that, but for enduring and thriving and becoming such a great nation for many years, didn't even have our own homeland, let alone an army, a base. We were dispersed at the mercy of our hosts. Sometimes they were benevolent and often they weren't. This is what we should look at both on a personal psychological level, where people go to therapy and we all want to know the formula for healing. How do we endure and how do we get through trauma, abuse, hurt, wounds, scars, individually and collectively? And that can teach us how to address any type of crisis, including an epidemic or pandemic, whatever it's called, emotionally and psychologically. Because yes, Bad things have happened in history, individually and collectively, as I mentioned. But the key difference between one person and another is not what happens to us, but our attitude to what happens to us. You could have two people the same suffering, and yet one person learns to grow through it, and the other person gets destroyed by it. Bitter, anger, angry, resentful. What's the difference between the two? The attitude. That is vital, because when you're fighting any battle, when you're dealing with any challenge, the most important thing you want to know is the attitude. You want a commander-in-chief that even when there's a battle lost or things look bleak, remain strong and courageous and confident in victory. You don't want someone, as soon as there's a setback, I'm out of here. That's all attitude. The same, just to use a simple example from athletics, from sports, or gymnastics, or any skill, how much of it is mental mindset? How much of it is in the mind? You can have the best tennis player, and they get into a funk or they have an injury, and then they feel that they don't feel confident in their own skills, the same skills they had yesterday. Objectively, the number one in the world, but right now psychologically does not feel that way. The same is true in every area of life. It's attitude. When you go with a demoralized attitude, you can rest assured, even if your superior strength and superior tools and resources, you will most likely lose to someone that goes in with a fortitude, a confidence, a courage that I can succeed. That's how much the mental attitude, that's how much it's all in the head. Not all in the head, but a big part of it is that. So when we're dealing with a crisis right now, leadership, and this is what I grew up with, this is what I want to share, takes a leadership role of saying, how are we going to be proactive? How are we going to not just respond and react, but to be, but be on the offensive? So, of course, it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, that we have to do everything possible medically and politically and diplomatically that nations unite 
in this common effort because this virus attacks everyone, man, woman, or child, no matter where they come from, no matter what their color of their skin, their religion, their creed, their, society, their state, their social status, their race. And that is a tremendous thing we can achieve by that type of unity. But in addition, also a call to all of us to rise to the occasion and show what the human spirit contains. That no, we will not be intimidated. No, we won't back down. No, we won't just lock ourselves up in fear, crouching because we don't want to be infected. Again, we need to be prudent and follow medical instructions and follow the governmental guidelines and so on and all of the health organizations, and all those that are dedicated to the welfare of the human race, individually and collectively, on a local level, on a national level, on a global level. But in addition, a psychological attitude that we are together in this, and that we can overcome any challenge. So one of the sad and tragic derivatives and byproducts of, a, a, uh, of any negative experience, especially one that has global impact, is that people can often turn against each other. We've seen this during times of famine and hunger, avalanches, other tragedies, especially larger ones, where dog eats dog, the survival of the fittest, that people simply turn to their lowest base instincts, which is to take care of myself, to the point that they can actually resort to vandalism and barbarism and looting and stealing because I want to survive. The narcissistic natural inclination that people may have, especially when they're in, under duress. So obviously, we have to be, do everything to check and make sure that doesn't happen. But there's a response to that in the other extreme. You can also see during crisis and dark, and dark times that people rise to the occasion and you see the nobility that comes out of human beings. How they're there for each other. They share a piece of bread. So it's very obvious that in a time like this, not only should we not be retreating in fear and becoming more divisive, but we should do everything possible to become more united. To take that extra measure of reaching out to someone. Obviously, again, all in the right way, in the right approach, as we're given the guidelines by our authorities. But the attitude has to be in our own homes and families and our children to see that we become better people. We don't become fearful, paranoid, panicky, and divisive. So that's reaction number one. Because it's so easy to succumb to our lowest common denominator. And when I say that, I don't just mean turning on each other, even turning on yourself, which is fair. To maintain and actually build that confidence and strength. And that's a lesson we learn from history, and especially Jewish history. A very powerful verse in the book of Exodus, that when the Jews were being oppressed by the Egyptian empire and their pharaoh, their leader, so there's a verse that says, as they were oppressed, in direct proportion to that, they flourished and thrived. Oppression didn't bring out the worst in them, it brought out the best in them. Because they rose to the occasion. They dug deeper and accessed more powerful inner resources. 
And this is a lesson again taught today as well. Though we can't even compare to that oppression, that a challenge should bring out the best in us and that we grow from it. We grow from it and through it and we become better people. The story of Purim that we're just coming from, there too was literally a decree that would annihilate the entire Jewish nation. Everyone, men, women, and children. Even more than the Nazis, because the Nazis did not control the entire world. But the Persian Empire did. The 127 nations, all the Jewish people lived under the control of Ahasuerus, the king, the Persian king at the time. And Haman's decree was to annihilate them all. They didn't panic. Yes, they did what they had to do. Mordechai and Esther, the efforts they made. Esther was the queen of Ahasuerus, and she used her position to influence the king. But they turned to prayer. They turn to faith. They turn to the fortitude that comes from those deeper spiritual and transcendent resources that we have. It's ironic that in Italy and other countries, as they quarantine and lock down, they're also closing up the houses of worship. Why? Because at times like this, we need to worship. We need prayer more than ever, faith more than ever. Now, I understand the medical concerns, and again, we have to listen to that. But at times like this, we need an even stronger call of faith because that's what holds us strong. That's what gives us the ability to endure and recognize there's a bigger plan, see things through. And that's vital in any given situation. So to take it a step further, to take it a step further, the virus is called coronavirus. The reason for that is because corona means crown in Greek, in the ancient Greek. That is due to the, the crown-like spikes that appear on the surface of the virus when you magnify it. You see, like crown-like spikes. Now, nothing is an accident. Why is it like a crown? So when you look into the deeper teachings of mysticism, of, Kabbalistic and Hasidic, of the Kabbalistic and Hasidic masters, you find a discussion about a crown. A crown refers to a more transcendent force. We all have our faculties, our cognitive, our emotional, our actualized, our practical faculties. And then we have our transcendent faculties. They're called crown-like. They're crowns. Like the crown on the head, they're not internalized, they're not localized. They surround. They're like an aura above us. But there's a negative crown and there's a positive one. A negative crown is referred to the arch enemy and the arch villain of Purim, Haman, who originated from that cruel nation called Amalek. And they are, what the verse says, the head of all nations. What does that mean? Among the negative impulses, they're the worst because it's a stubbornness, a arrogance that's deeper than just a temptation. Sometimes, you know, you want to do something, you want to hurt somebody because you're going to benefit from it. What happens if you want to hurt someone and you have no benefit from it at all? Think of the naked, virulent anti-Semitism of the Nazis. It was not rational. The amount of resources they spent. Had they not done, they may have even won the war, God forbid. But the irrational hatred to the point of obsession to find every Jew with a stethoscope was not rational. It was not rational. That comes from Kesser, from the crown, a very negative form of energy. Now, I'm not suggesting the coronavirus is that level, 
But it's interesting, the parallels. And that's what a virus does, an, a, an unhealthy virus. What it does is it separates, it divides. It breaks down the immune system. And it also has the impact, the possible impact of dividing us, bringing us to our most base and lowest common denominator, lowest elements, base elements, whether it's selfishness, fear, and so on. So what's the response? So there's a corona of holiness, a supra-rational commitment to everything that is good and right. Not only because it makes sense on a cognitive level or emotional level, because it's a total, absolute dedication and commitment, a crown-like commitment, a transcendent commitment, but it's a commitment that counters the other extreme commitment of a coronavirus, whether it's physical, psychological, or emotional. Now, this is a theme discussed in mystical teachings and Hasidic teachings, and especially one, interestingly, that was delivered exactly 100 years ago, this week, this past week, by the famous classic Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Chabad Rebbe, whose passing would happen within a few weeks after Purim. So on Purim 1920, in the Hebrew year, Tofresh Pei, we're now 57080, that's 5680, 1920, 2020, he delivered lengthy discourses on this theme of the arrogance in human nature and the extreme antidote to that is the extreme humility on a super-rational level that counters that virus, that form of negative infection and toxic energy that can contaminate us all. The Amalek, the Haman, who chooses to divide, to split, to pit people against each other. And the counterforce is utter unity, connecting with each other. As the story of Purim tells us, that's what they did. They connected, they joined, they came together as a community in prayer, in study, in charity, in unity. So when we see an event happening, Maimonides tells us, when you see a catastrophe happen, any sort, especially one that impacts more than one person, many people, it would be cruel to ignore it as some type of random, oh, just happened, accident. No, everything has a deeper purpose. So of course we'd rather not have this whole coronavirus craze, whatever you want to call it, but we have it. And we have to do whatever it takes, I repeat again, to eradicate it, to contain it, eradicate it, control it, but we have to also use it to let us to, let, to reveal within us our most beautiful natures. The power that we have the ability to unite together and to learn the lessons of the crown. Not a crown that separates, not a crown that hurts, not a crown that weakens, but a crown that strengthens, that empowers, that unites. And just as a virus... What does it do? A virus has that viral impact. Contagious. There's also a positive virus. You talk about today viral impact. To do something that has viral impact, marketing-wise. A better word would be a ripple effect. Like a butterfly effect. The butterfly flutters its wings in one city and it can cause 
something to happen thousands of miles away. A ripple effect of kindness and goodness, a revolution of unity, of crown-like achievement of unity that counters all this negative energy. Imagine if the leaders of the world would get up and in addition to telling us their plans and their confidence and their empowering all the medical officials and all the other institutions and organizations to do whatever it takes to control, to contain and eradicate the virus, they also would give us equally, and even more than equal, a strong message that we will use this opportunity to unite like never before, to connect like never before, to cooperate with each other, to fight the plague of polarization, of divisiveness, of hatred, just as the virus knows no boundaries, just as it does not distinguish between color and race and creed and so social status and so on, we too will create a revolution of good that knows no boundaries, that does not distinguish from one another. On the contrary, it unites us all. Wouldn't that be something? That's what compels me to share these words because this is exactly what we need at this time. And that's a proactive measure. It doesn't take away from the challenge, but it gives us an additional resource to face this challenge and any challenge that we may ever face. And it also teaches us, as I mentioned before, on a personal level. Our children, ourselves, we need to be able to look at something, a problem, and say, you know what, it's a problem. Face it, eyes, we're not in denial, but we have always more strength than the problem. Expression in the Talmud, actually connected to Purim as well, is that the cure always precedes the illness. You may not find it right away, but it's there. It's that utter confidence and conviction that light is stronger than darkness. And even if something is dark, there's already a cure somewhere waiting to be discovered. It's an attitude in life that no matter what comes your way, don't ever think you're a victim. You're a product. You're a result of circumstances. No. You control your destiny. You may not control what will happen, but you control how you'll navigate through what happens. You can control your attitude. What's the difference between a good swimmer and not such a good swimmer? When a storm strikes and you're swimming, the bad swimmer or someone who's not experienced will try to fight the tide and they'll get exhausted and they can get hurt. A good swimmer, when they see that happening... They don't try to fight it. They ride with it. They float. Because they know you have to navigate through the waves and when the storm will stop, will subside, that's when they'll use their energy to go forward. You have to navigate life. Life is not a plateau. It's ups and downs, waves, twists and turns, unknowns. The people who not just survive, the people who grow and thrive are those that know how to navigate, to ride those waves. And that comes from the inner fortitude of our souls, of our spirits, and connecting to that, especially when there's a crisis, especially when there's a panic. Because then you can access the deeper resources that give you an additional, additional strengths in your so-called portfolio, we call diversification. If you only have one strength, and then something happens, that strength won't work, what are you going to do? You have nowhere to turn to. There's no recourse. But when you have many strengths, 
you can always turn to different ones for different situations. I've repeated many times the story, the powerful story, with a previous Chabad Rebbe when he was in prison in 1927, arrested by the Bolsheviks, especially the Jewish Bolsheviks. He accused them of counter-revolutionary activity, basically uh, teaching and spreading kindness and goodness and Judaism and so on. And when he refused to cooperate, because he said in his own mind, later he writes in his diary, I refused to cooperate because for my spirit, I needed to feel I'm in control. I needed my dignity. I did not want to feel I'm their prisoner. Their victim. I did not feel, feel like a victim. So one of the things, he refused to cooperate. He spoke fluent Russian. He chose to speak only Yiddish. One of his captors, which was, happened to be a Jew, whose grandfather happened to be a chassid, and a chassid, a follower, a disciple of the Rebbe's grandfather, but now he became a what's called Yevsexia, the worst anti-Semites of all. And he pointed a gun to the Rebbe's head and said, Rebbe, this gun has made many people cooperate. And the Rebbe, without flinching, without missing a beat, turns to him and nonchalantly says, this toy, this tzatzke, can frighten someone that has one world and many gods, but not someone that has one god and many worlds. So if you think all you have is what is in front of you and that's taken away, it's all over. But when you have one God in many worlds, yes, I want to live. I want to have a good life, a happy life. But don't think you can frighten me because I have many worlds. I have many vistas, many horizons, many domains, many dimensions to my life. There's a physical part of life. There's a spiritual part of life. There's other aspects to life. And one God that I hold on to and gives me the strength to overcome any fear. So you're not going to frighten me. Paraphrasing and explaining a bit what he said. He even said, you have many gods. Every desire, every temptation, everything that seduces you is your god for the moment. Every pleasure. And they're all, of course, temporary. They don't last. And then when he, when, after he finished the Rebbe, finished, the man said, the Jew said to the Rebbe, he said, we'll see who will prevail. And the Rebbe looked at him and said, yes, we'll see who who, who, whom, who will prevail over him. That fellow was, of course, killed a little while later because everybody ended up being killed. And the Rebbe came out of prison, came out of Russia, Soviet Union, ended up in Europe, then came to the United States, rebuilt his community, his broken community, but he rebuilt it. And I would not be here speaking to you had that not had happened. So who prevailed? And not just myself, thousands of my colleagues, family, community, all over the world. At the moment, it may seem in history that we were challenged, but you have to always look at the bigger picture. I mentioned before the Jewish people. We're here today. All those empires are gone. All those oppressors are gone. We don't even have a remnant of their grandchildren. And who prevailed? Spirit prevailed. The people who were connected and had that deeper connection. Now, maybe much to evoke all of that when we're just dealing with the coronavirus, I say just, it's not just for those that are suffering, or those that have died, but relatively speaking to compare to the Holocaust. But the point is not comparison, the point is the fortitude, the point is the strength, the point is how we develop the inner resources, bring them to the fore to address any challenge. And this will be a tremendous lesson to our children and to our generation, because we will look back at 2020 and say, what happened? How did people react? That to me is even worse than anything else. If we look back and say, 
We just panicked. Hysteria. We just secluded ourselves. We turned on each other. We blamed everybody, pointing fingers. Or we can say, no, we rose to the occasion. We joined together, both on a practical level, but also on a psychological and emotional level. We became better people, kinder people, gentler people. And our children saw that. And our communities saw that. Our colleagues, our friends, our neighbors. So anyone listening to this, think about the responsibility. Think ahead. We'll look back at this time. How did we react? Did we just go on the defense? Even if it worked? Or did we go on the offense? Did we use it as an opportunity to bring more light into the world? To bring more unity? To bring a crown? A beautiful crown? A majestic one? of what means to be a truly dignified human being, created in the divine image. Or, God forbid we did not. And that was the counterforce, that beautiful crown, to the coronavirus, to COVID-19. And we ended up conquering that virus, eradicating it, and becoming better people in the process. That's how we should look back. Now I know some of us will say, well, right now I have to survive and just deal with the moment. Who has time to think about the big picture? So I beg to differ. Yes, deal with the moment. This is not a contradiction. Be prudent, be practical, listen to the authorities, do what has to be done to protect you and your family. But let it make you a better person. Reach out, say a kind word. Make that extra effort of bringing in the corona, the kesser, the crown of what we're capable of. That we become even more noble, more dignified, more majestic, more crown-like, more crown-like, more king- kingly and queenly in our behavior. That is the ultimate counterforce. And as the mystics and the Hasidic masters explain, that everything in this world has a parallel. Everything in the negative has something in the positive. So you see something negative, there's always a positive force to counter it. And more importantly, the positive is always more powerful than the negative. Even though the negative may at the moment seem strong and may seem dominate, dominant, but it's the positive that's much stronger and permanent. Because negative energy ultimately dissipates. And positive energy is permanent forever. So there's much to think about as we look at the events consuming the world today. Gripping people in every possible fashion and it's not going away overnight because the natural progression of this will be probably more spreading further hopefully not but it looks like that but at the same time all that should only lead and bring out even more powerful positive energy from within us the corona within our own souls to counter the corona from the virus Because as I said, it's parallel worlds. There couldn't be a negative energy if there wasn't a positive one. And the goal is to transform the negative into the positive and become stronger in the process. I hope that these words are helpful and they're coming from the heart and that we share this with each other. So anyone that hears or sees this, please make sure to share something, a message we all need to hear. It's a message we all need our children to hear. We all need our communities to hear. And our leaders, 
hopefully our leaders can rise to the occasion and proclaim and announce this both a battle against the disease, but it's also a battle for light. Because at the end of the day, a little light dispels darkness, and a lot of light dispels even more darkness. How much more so a lot of light. So may God bless every person to be healthy, protected, but also use your strengths to go on the offense and bring even more corona positive energy into the world to counter any type of negative energy. This has been Simon Jacobson speaking about the coronavirus. How should we react? Coming from the Meaningful Life Center, MeaningfulLife.com, where we have many resources for your use, for your benefit in dealing with challenges and dealing with positive elements, covering the entire spectrum of the human condition. It's a great honor. It's a great responsibility. It's a great gift to be able to share these words and use the technologies that can actually reach millions, if not billions of people with a positive message that can counter and actually dominate even more so than the negative headlines that we are experiencing. So please stay in touch. Give us your feedback, your comments, your suggestions. We are partners in this. Let us unite together the harmony within diversity to bring out the crown, the corona within each of us, the most beautiful aspect of your nature, your personality, to bring your unique voice, your unique light to the world. Thank you very much. Stay healthy and let us only celebrate together in joyous and happy occasions. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.